Uh, one question this evening before we get into our sermon. And uh, before we get started tonight, I want to say happy birthday to Riley. All right, so let's give her a nice little hand and say happy birthday this evening. Wonderful, wonderful. Are you raising your hand? Is it your birthday too? Maisie's birthday. Oh, wonderful. Well, tell her happy birthday. And welcome back, Daisy, from Geneva. Glad to have you back here. Uh, we're, it's now that it's winter time, we're all dressed in winter clothes. You know? Oh, wait, it's July. Sorry. So anyway. And uh, so, so we're getting into a Q&A tonight, guys. We will try to, to keep things uh, sensible this evening as far as the time goes to be aware with the, the situation of the road. And I do appreciate you guys uh, making me uh, aware of those things because we we're not going to know um, otherwise. And I, it's, it's, well, it's difficult for you guys to even know. It's not really uh, broadcast that well, is it? So question tonight. I'm going to have you turn to Romans chapter 5. Okay, Romans in chapter 5. Uh, question that came through the wire this, uh, this well, actually today. And uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 13, in relation to it, the question is, if sin is not imputed where there is no law, what about Adam and the others in the Old Testament? So you know, or I say you, you should know, uh, Romans chapter 5 and this portion of scripture here, when we begin to look at roughly uh, uh, verse 12 all the way down to verse 15, 16, uh, the context is that singular sin that Adam create, uh, committed that was bestowed upon mankind. Inside of that is verse 13, which is a parenthetical statement that we read in Romans chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, for until the law was, uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. So the first part of that verse is, is obvious. Okay. Obviously we understand that between Adam and Moses, people sinned. Okay. So that's what the first part is saying. For until the law, uh, uh, until the law, sin was in the world. So people were sinning. We know that Adam sinned, uh, Cain sinned. You know, we know that. That's simple. But it's the second part where the question lies tonight. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. So the quick answer to this, to the question, uh, is is found in the verse where there is no law. That doesn't say the law, meaning the Mosaic law. It says no law. Uh, so where there is no law, the imputation or the charge of sin is not present, meaning the knowledge of sin. It's not referring to the law such as you find in Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. It's not referring to the law, the legal system, anything along. It is the knowledge of what sin is. It's knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of right and wrong. The knowledge of good and evil was obtained where and when? In the first sin, Genesis chapter 3, in the taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so Adam knew he was transgressing when he took the fruit. Okay, how did he know that? Because the word of God had already depicted Genesis chapter 2 verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. There's the transgression. There's the warning. One chapter later. They commit this transgression, okay? So because knowledge is, the knowledge of sin is present in the heart as a result of the taking of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this is where we find Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, okay? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. So not only do we find that God's eternal power, that his Godhead, okay, is revealed and manifest to his creation, all right, right and wrong. The invisible things of creation are, are there, but at the same time, God hath showed it unto them. And therefore, now we are, we're able to apply James chapter 4 and verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Okay? So if, and if you know to do, do the right thing, to do good, and you choose not to, that's sin. Hands down. Do we need a law telling us that is, that is sin? See, the purpose of Exodus chapter 20, the purpose of the Ten Commandments, was never a tick list to save anyone. It was merely a, 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 a conviction sheet, if you will, to reveal unto you that you have transgressed. So everybody sinned up into that point. Now the revelation that they knew they were sinning, yes, but as Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the law made his sin exceedingly sinful. Okay? So the problem is not the law is not present, but there is no law at all, okay? There was no law. There was no law as far as the Ten Commandments. Well, Genesis chapter 21, we find Abimelech, remember? He took Sarah in and all this and that. He knew adultery was wrong, didn't he? So sin could, could, uh, could be imputed to him. Why? Because he knew that it was wrong if he had actually committed adultery uh, uh, with Sarai at the time. So he had the law written in his heart. He had the law written in his conscience. This is before the Mosaic law, but this is the law of the knowledge of good and evil. Did Cain know that he did wrong when he killed Abel? Absolutely. That's why he tried to put off God in Genesis 4 and 9. God had already told him that he had done wrong with the sacrifice, and he said that sin layeth at the door, okay, if he didn't make it right. And that's Genesis 4, 7. We'll go back, even, we'll go back a little bit more. The pre-flood civilization had the preaching and the testimony of Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. All right? Had all of that. Preaching of righteousness, preaching of judgment to come, preaching of temperance as Paul preached. They knew right from wrong. Sodom and Gomorrah, same thing. They had the testimony of Melchizedek. They had the testimony of Abraham, Genesis chapter 14. Heathen, many of the heathen know more than what you think they do, okay? But where there is no knowledge of the law... Um, in the heart, okay, that's the difference. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 tells us, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these have not the law or a law unto themselves, okay? So stop there for a second and look at that verse and read it very carefully. Do by nature. Where does the nature come to do the right thing before the eyes of God? It comes from being, from God writing upon the table of our heart and put it within our conscience. Does that make sense to you tonight? So, when you find that where there is no law, uh, sin is not imputed, okay, it's a parenthetical statement. It's not talking about the law, it's talking about the knowledge of, of sin. So, if there is no knowledge of, of law, in speech or writing, such as Exodus 20, and if there's no law, uh, no, uh, then sin is not charged to that person, uh, even, when he, even though he's born in trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.14. So either they have the light of God, all right, 
in, that's in every creation, or they are ignorant of good and evil. The only way possible for someone to be completely and totally ignorant of good and evil are individuals who lack the cognitive capacity to understand right and wrong, good and evil, sin and righteousness. Okay, that's the only way. You know, when the question comes up about um, about certain individuals who who they just they can't help themselves, there. I'm not talking about reprobates. I'm talking about you know children born with with disabilities and things along that line. You know, how are they held accountable? They don't know. Okay, there, there's no law. It's not there. Do you understand? So. Having said all that, that's the point, that's the answer to that question. It is a very, it's a simple question to answer quickly, but as always, guys, there needs to be supporting verses. Um, I, I don't want to be one of those guys, this is the answer, just trust me. I want to give you the supporting verses so that you can, you know, leave uh, with greater knowledge of what we want to, uh, what you need to know about uh, concerning the Word of God, okay? So appreciate the question, thank you, I think it was very good, and a very good question. Love Q&A, and uh, so that was a blessing, okay? Revelation chapter 16 tonight. Revelation chapter 16. I want to get into a message this evening. And uh, I tell you what, I'm going to look my notes over real quick. I tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to uh, aim to get the introduction finished tonight and possibly the introduction. So there we are. So we'll get the introduction done tonight. And I'll save the three points for next Wednesday. Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 16 is where we are this evening. This is what we're going to look at in uh, Revelation 16. And uh, my Bible is the bottom right uh, verse in the, on the page, but I don't know where it is on yours. It's page 283 in mine as well, and that doesn't help anyone. So, verse 15 tells us, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. Lord, we pray a blessing upon the teaching and preaching of the word tonight. Uh, you pray, I pray, Lord, that you'd watch over us, give us guidance, grace, and mercy. And Lord, I just want to praise the name of Jesus this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to stand here and uh, teach your word, Father. I thank you for giving us a pure, perfect word, preserved uh, in inspiration and all in this King James Bible. So, Lord, we give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So most people will hold to the notion that we can never, 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 never know when Jesus Christ will return in the air to catch his bride away. Now, when I've, I've taught on this in the past, and when I have, I've, I've thrown out little uh, allures, if you will, to say, hey, you show up tonight, we're going to let you know exactly when Jesus Christ is coming back for the rapture to take his bride, and, and people have bought into it, and they've come, and they've had their notepads, and this and that, and and of course, by the end of the night, I'm like, there's no way I can tell you exactly when he's coming back. So I don't want you to think that I'm doing that here this evening. Many believe because, but, but there's, a, there's a misinterpretation of why most people believe that we cannot know when Jesus Christ is going to come back. And a lot of it is based on the verse that we're reading right here, Revelation 16, verse 15, that it speaks about him coming as a thief in the night, okay? Again, we read it again, verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, uh, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Here's the problem, guys. Is look at the preceding verse, verse 14. Verse 14, verse 14 tells us, For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto kings, unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. So that's the preceding verse. Look at the following verse after verse 15, which is verse 16. The Bible says, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue 
Armageddon, okay? Armageddon uh, uh, is the arm of Megiddo. It's in the valley of Jehoshaphat. It is just off to the side in that valley, in a, uh, off of the side of a place called Megiddo in Israel. Friend, we understand just by looking at those verses, verse 14 and 16, as you can now apply verse 15 into its proper place in history, or yet the future, I should say, these are tribulational verses, okay? So if I'm going to stop and I'm going to think, well, when is Jesus Christ coming back to catch his bride away? If I'm going to be a dispensationalist, which if you're a, if you're a biblicist tonight and a Bible believer, you are a dispensationalist, amen? If that be the case, then i got to say, well, wait a second here. That verse has nothing to do with me knowing when Jesus Christ is coming to catch his bride away or to take the church with him. It should be self-explanatory, in all fairness, to anyone who studies their Bible, seeing that Revelation 16 is at the end of the tribulation period. It's one of the four trips that Revelation depicts uh, through the tribulation period, all four from a different angle. Uh, so where else are the Word of God? When we begin to look in the Bible, and people have this idea that we have no earthly idea when Jesus is going to come back. And again, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, since we're not going to finish the sermon tonight, uh, I'm not trying to say we know the day, the hour, the minute, the moment, even the month, or even the year of when Jesus Christ is going to rapture his church. I do think, I will say you, tell you this, we know the seasons and we know how closer we are getting, okay? And uh, so there's the, there's the great climax to the end of the sermon's gone, you know, can't keep you on the edge of your seat, that we're going to give you a date, time, an hour. Uh, we're not a Millerite, that's how the Seventh-day Adventists started, they were... Uh, Miller was a was a, a cultist, is what he was. He he set these dates, and these people quit their jobs, and he went out into the farms and the fields, and and uh, they did this right here, and Jesus didn't come back. And then you know, the elders, you know, and Miller said, "Oh, wait a second, uh, we miscalculated the date. Blah, 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 blah. It's going to be on such and such date." And they went out there, and they did all the same thing. That happened three and four times, and people still bought into the lies. And uh, Miller actually left and admitted and repented that he had done wrong. And there was a witch by the name of Ellen G. White in the background who took the lead of that, uh, of that false Christian organization, false organization, and, um, and ran with them. And you see where they are today, you know. As a matter of fact, they, tell, they say that you and I have taken the mark of the beast. How have we taken the mark of the beast? They teach because you, we go to church on Sunday and not the seventh day. Guys, do you realize that it would be virtually, no, literally impossible to actually calculate the seventh day from creation? And if you can't calculate and know exactly why, well, we have multitudes of times when the sun st stood still, when this happened, that, you can't calculate that. So, uh, you know, anyway, it's, it's, it's a cult, it's what it is. But I'm saying that anybody that names a date, all cults begin with naming dates, they, with, with mankind religion. Uh, you look at the Mormons, you look at all of that, they're all works-based religion, every single one of them are, uh, guys, and it, it, they're just, they're cults, and you've got to stay away from those things. I'm saying all that again to come back and make sure you understand, uh, you know, I'm not asking you tonight, I'm not asking you tonight um, for a day, hour, moment, a minute, I'm asking you tonight, are you ready? That's what I want you to think about. Are you ready for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back? You know, we ha we're having this Who's Your One campaign that we're pushing, that we want you witnessing and politely being persistent to invite people to church and into the body of Christ to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by grace, uh, by grace through faith. All right? How diligent are we being with that? That's what I'm asking you guys. Are you ready for Him to come back and stand before Him to give an account of what we've done with uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world. That's what we have. That's what I'm trying to challenge you with this evening because I do want to provoke to thought the importance of being ready 
Amen and amen. So, go to Revelation chapter 3. Did I already tell you to go there? Revelation chapter 3. We'll look at another verse here where people misapply. Uh, they think the church is in darkness toward the appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say the appearance of Jesus Christ, I am referring strictly to the rapture of the church, the catching away of the bride. All right, we'll get into those verses. Actually, we're going to get into them next week uh, because we're going to push this, o- this off. Um, we're going to, when you look at the day, the, the day of Christ, that's in, entirely different. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 3, watch this application. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and, ha- and hold fast and repent. If, therefore, thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, because this is found within the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and we know that according to the three applications of Scripture, that these are pertaining to the church age, even historically, uh, dispensationally, as we know we're in the the seventh and final church age, which is the, the Laodicean church age. Laodicea means rights of the people, and we live in a world today to where unless, you, you know, unless you're a Christian, you've got every rights under the sun. But if you're a Christian that names the name of Christ and a Bible believer, then your rights are being robbed daily. All right, that's where we are. Where, you know, the, the, the previous one was the, uh, was the church of Philadelphia, the Philadelphian church age, which is the greatest church age, the church age of brotherly love. And Revelation 3, 3 is, is um, pertaining to the church age of, um, of Sardis, okay, of Sardis, uh, historically speaking, all right, and dispensationally speaking. But at best, when you apply a doctrinal application to verse 3, okay, uh, the dispensation of faith and works during the seven-year tribulation period, these souls are not present at the second coming of Christ, okay? Uh, so at best, and, and that occurs at the end. So what is it referring to? The, the Sardian church, remember, was a persecuted church. Look in, in, in the Bible with me, if you will, in Revelation chapter, um, uh, chapter, let's see where we are, chapter 6 is where we should be. I don't know why that has that on there. Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going to look first, okay? Um, so if you go to Revelation chapter 6, and look with me in verses 9 through 11, again, you can see where this application is going to apply and how these souls are not going to be present on the earth uh, that it is speaking to, Revelation 3. Uh, and, when, and when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar, this is verse 9, chapter 6, verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, uh, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto, unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. Turn over to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11 now. Revelation 11 and verse 7, the Bible tells us here in verse 7, And when they shall, when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies shall, uh, shall lie in the street of the great city, of which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, uh, where also our Lord was crucified. And they, and they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their bodies uh, three days uh, and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. 
And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon, upon them which saw them. Uh, verse 12 says, And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to the heaven in a cloud, and uh, their enemies beheld them. Lastly, look over Revelation chapter 12 with me. Revelation in chapter 12, and uh, look in verse 11. Verse 11 there. Uh, Revelation 12, and in verse 11, the Bible says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. So who is this referring to, guys? So we understand that the group of people that is being spoken of, Revelation 3.3, will not be on earth, okay? This is doctrinally speaking. Will not be on earth during the second coming of Christ because we see now where they are. These are martyrs. These are tribulational martyrs who are killed. They're beheaded uh, for the cause of Christ, for the rejection of the allegiance of the Antichrist, along with the, the two witnesses, which is Moses and Elijah, okay? So who kills these people? Who kills these people? Revelation chapter 14 or 16 tells us, the Bible says, And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they, heard, uh, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast, and shalt be, because thou hast judged us. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So those who come against uh, those who name the name of Christ in the tribulation, those who would reject um, the, the Antichrist, who reject that, or have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, they're slaughtered throughout the tribulation period. And they're gonna, the wrath is going to come upon them, as you read in Revelation 16 right there. Why? Because they slaughtered the prophets, these two witnesses. They slaughtered these people who were named in the name of Christ. Now, who are these people? These people are those who never had the opportunity to be saved during the church age. So, again, when we go back to Revelation 3, go back to Revelation chapter 3, and I want to make a couple points here, a couple points here this evening uh, on this, and then we'll, we'll close down here in about five minutes. Revelation chapter 3, 3 tells us, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, watch this next phrase, and hold fast and repent. Now those, are, those tie the doctrinal application into the period of dispensation of faith and works, which you know is tribulational. The spiritual practical application is seen, there, uh, seen in a step further. If therefore thou shalt not watch, okay, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not, uh, thou shalt not know what hour... I will come upon thee. So, the other two applications, the historical and spiritual practical application. Jesus Christ makes this point in Revelation 3.3 3 by utilizing that word if. We just preached a, a two-week series on that word if, and the context of the verse is negative. But with the first word of that sentence there, if therefore thou shalt not watch, if there be an if, one can apply it to the positive, because it if is a hinge word, meaning that it hinges on the actions of those being instructed. If therefore uh, thou shalt not watch, okay? If I, if, if, if I will not come on thee as a thief. So notice what he's saying there again. He says, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. If you switch that around, if there thou, and I'm not changing the word of God. I'm just giving you the application, the thought here. If, there, if therefore thou shalt watch, I will not come unto thee. As a thief. So, in other words, if you're watching, you're going to see me coming. 
If you're looking for me, you're going to know when I'm coming. So if you're looking at me with expectancy that I am going to come, then there's not going to be this erroneous thought of that he's going to come as a thief in the night for even us, okay? Uh, it, it's simply by following the orders that's given to Christ, that he's given the church, the instructions that we should watch and obey. We are commanded to occupy until Christ returns in the air. In other words, it comes back to if you, then God. So what we have to focus on, guys, what we have to focus on in our life is 2 Timothy 2.15. We're looking at the Word of God and what it means. 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Rightly dividing the word of truth. That's the key. That's the key tonight when you want to understand uh, if we can apply a time frame. So what we want to look at, and guys, I'm going to go ahead. Uh, I, I think we have. I think we have time. I'm going to get one point in tonight, and we'll be done. Okay? I'll be. I'll be make sure that we get you out of here uh, before that road closes tonight. But I just don't feel like we should end on that point of the introduction. We need to get into this point and address what the day a day of concern is. The day of concern. So this is where we're going to focus here tonight. Just real quick, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Paul's epistle to the Thessalonians, his first one. So go to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5. Again, most of this confusion comes by simply uh, misappropriating the scriptures where uh, they do not belong, not rightly dividing them as we should. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, uh, tells us, it says here, but of the times and the seasons. All right, so again, what are we talking about, guys? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to come back? Now, most of us look in the world today at what's going on, and we're like, yes, I want him to come back right now. Well, let's flip that question. Let's look at ourselves as what's going on. What are we doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we living a life pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we doing the right things in this world that, that are pleasing to the Lord? Are we, are we trying to win as many people to the Lord Jesus Christ as we can? Now I'll ask you that question. Are you ready? You see, I'm, we talk about it all the time. That's why I hate that lapel mic. I'm going to hit it all the time. But the day of concern and the confusion people has is concerning the second coming of Christ in relation to the rapture of the church. So the day of concern that we're focusing on right now is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now watch this. Paul says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, who is he speaking to? Saved, born-again people. So the very next thing that he says, he says, Brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. He's telling... I don't need to write unto you. you, you you're going to know the days and the seasons, okay? All right? For yourselves know perfectly that, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. There's the confusion, all right? There's the confusion. Paul says, you have no need. Why do you think we have, we as a body of Christ, have no need to be concerned of when the second coming of Jesus Christ is going to occur? Well, look in verse 3. For when they, okay, shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Who's that referring to? We read Revelation 16 just a moment ago about that day of wrath that was poured down because they slain the prophets. They, they slain the, uh, the people uh, that, that named the name of Christ, right? So the they and the them of verse 3 is speaking to unbelievers during the tribulation period prior to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is after the rapture. 
Where is the rapture or the catching away the bride of Christ? Where is it found? Seven years prior to the second coming of Christ, which is in the previous chapter of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4. For this we say, uh, in verse 15, it says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, and we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trump of God, and the dead Christ shall rise first. Then we, not they and them, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So guys, if you cross-reference, if you look at verse 18, comfort one another with these words, with verse 3, then cometh sudden destruction, what comfort is in sudden destruction? Zero. Why? They're talking about two different occurrences. So the day of concern, uh, guys, we need to understand that the day of the Lord, in both the Old and the New Testaments, refers to the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he will set his foot on the mount and all of that, and set up his 1,000-year reign known as the Millennial Kingdom. Always has been. Malachi in chapter 4 and verse 5 tells us, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming and the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Malachi was the last of the prophets to the restored remnant of Israel after Israel's 70-year captivity. Elijah had been dead for at least 600 years by the time Malachi penned his prophecy. Elijah is one of the two witnesses during the millennial kingdom that come back, him and Moses, during the tribulation period. We just spoke about them. They are slain and lying in the street for three and a half days. John the Baptist came as the forerunner of Jesus Christ to pave the way for Jesus Christ in the spirit of Elias. But he wasn't Elijah. Do you understand? We see that in Luke chapter 1 and verse 17. Uh, and that's the key to John the Baptist. John the Baptist preached that the key was at hand, which is a twofold prophecy. All right? So when we look at Acts chapter 20, and I got a couple of these two verses, and then we're finished for the night. Acts chapter 20, uh, 2 and verse 20, not Acts 20. Acts chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and notable day of the Lord come. That is referring to a seal judgments that occur when? Tribulational period. Okay? And then we find in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, uh, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That is the fulfilled end of the tribulation period. So here's the, here's the day of concern, guys, where everybody gets mixed up with this uh, coming as a thief. Does not refer to the rapture of the church does not refer to the catching away of the bride. It doesn't refer to anything to do with the church, okay? The only thing that you can even remotely say that the church has something to do with it is that we're coming back with Jesus Christ on white horses and white robes. That's it, okay? But it has nothing to do with it. So for, for us to teach that, to misconstrue the day of the Lord mis, and, and misinterpret that, those verses and apply that thief idea, to the rapture of the church is a misrepresentation of really and truly what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes back. I don't want to get into what I'm going to speak of next week. So the day of concern is a reference that we're talking about tonight of the second coming of Christ, which occurs seven years after the rapture of the church. And we're looking for that to happen. Paul, told, Paul writes unto Titus by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says, for that, but we look for that blessed hope. There's a crown for those who are looking for that blessed hope. But my friend, I want you to understand this, and we're finished. 
If you're looking for Jesus Christ to come back, if you're looking for the one who saved your soul and you know you're going to give an answer to him, you're going to be busy down here on this earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll say this. If you're not busy, you're not looking. And if you're not looking, you're not concerned. And if you're not concerned, brother and sister, you've got deeper problems than that. I may not even be able to call you brother and sister if you're not concerned with the fellow souls of mankind tonight knowing that you're going to have to give an answer to God Almighty for what you've done with the greatest gift he's given unto us today. So the question is to you this evening, are you ready? Are you ready for him to come back? Would you bow your heads tonight? Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity and time. Uh, thank you for this, uh, the message this evening. We pray that you bless the rest of this service. And uh, Lord, I just pray in advance tonight for uh, traveling mercies for everyone as the roads will be shut. And just pray that you protect and guard uh, the souls this evening and just let them take on this message, Father. Write it upon their heart. Let it prick their minds and apply scriptures in the right way. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. And amen. All right. Well, praise the Lord, guys.